Okay, good. You're going dong dong. You're always one ahead of me with my kick. Yeah. Boom. And then I go cross kick. Dong 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 dong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, your headphones are off. Mom, just look at your tree. Stop talking. Like, I'm going to talk to Steven. You just need to let us know what's happening. Good to see all of you here on the Canada Day weekend. Uh, significant holiday for Canadians. 
also a significant holiday for the Tamiyama family. Ken's birthday tomorrow too, so happy birthday, Ken! And and uh, just uh, you know, and another birthday. Oh, two birthday. There we go. Yeah, Patricia's birthday too. So hey, good day to have a birthday, right? No one should forget your birthday on July first. So. Do you anyone remember Dominion Day? Okay, 1982. Until 1982, Canada celebrated Dominion Day, and then in an act of parliament when only 12 MPs were present, they voted to change the name from Dominion Day to Canada Day, and it has passed. And so suddenly it went from Dominion Day to Canada Day. But, you know, as Canadians, we, we aren't always the most patriotic. I spent one July weekend in, in the United States. I was taking some classes down in Dallas, and I happened to be there on July 4th weekend, and boy, like, flags are flying, fireworks inside the church. I mean, they're crazy about, you know, their country. And ca Canadians, we're a little more reserved, a little more casual. The only time we get excited about our patriotism is when? When we play hockey, that's right. You know, when we beat the Americans, right? That's, that's when, you know, like 2002, you know, uh, Salt Lake City. I mean, uh, we're all watching, right? I mean, who cares about any other game as long as the Canadians beat the Americans? The women beat the women, the men beat the men. 2010, it happens again in Vancouver. We beat the Americans. And, uh, you know, we're so proud of ourselves. <laughs> and, of course, the Raptors won, right? So we beat all the American teams with a bunch of American players. We beat them. You know, there, there we go. You know, that's, that's Canadian patriotism at its best. But I would suggest to you today that we have a spiritual heritage. In 1867, a group of men got together. They're drafting up the British North American Act. They got this place over there in North America where... There are colonies, and like, we're going to make this a country. And, and what should we call this? And it's an extension of, of, of Britain, but what, what are we going to call that place? And, and of course, the, the debate was, well, let's call it a, a kingdom. Let's call it a republic. And that morning, Sir Samuel Leonard Tilly woke up, and he opened the Word of God and had devotions and was reading Psalm 72. And he came across this verse and then this is the King James, you know, it's the same thing. He shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the rivers to the end of the earth. And, and he said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we call it the dominion of Canada? So right from Psalm 72, the roots of Canadian history are formed as, as a man who started his day in God's word, came to other people and said, hey, why don't we call this the dominion of Canada? And, and of course, the dominion represents not, not just that, that the queen or the king ruled over Canada or that the, the British parliament ruled, but actually that God owned Canada. Our spiritual heritage. I don't know how many of our politicians start the day in God's word today and would bring those thoughts to any kind of deliberations. But oh, how we need that. Again, this was the dominion of, of Canada. It, it continues today. If we go to the next slide there, uh, I don't know if you can see it but, it, but right around that window it says, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea. This is right on the peace tower in our parliament buildings. It's right there. This is part of our heritage, our roots. And until some crazy politician says, oh, that, that's offensive to me, we're, we're going to continue to keep that. The next slide here. The coat of arms. The bottom of the Canadian coat of arms, Amare usc admare, from sea to sea in Latin. It's, it's you know, kind of in cryptic form there. We're still holding on to our spiritual 
heritage, at least in, in some of the official documents. However, the trend in Canada is totally different. In 2000, um, in s while 65% of Canadians say they believe in God, this percentage has been in continuous decline, down from 81% in 2005. A similar trend for religious beliefs. The numbers tell us that religion is important to them have dropped from 70% from of the population in 2000 to 49% in 2017. So 49% of Canadians says, yeah, religious beliefs are important. The, the greatest growing group in Canada is the no religious affiliation. And even in Lloydminster, 30% of Lloydminsterites would say, I have no religious affiliation, zero. And yet our roots go back to this, from C to C. And if you watch the news, what you'll discover is there's a lot of burning issues for Canadians, right? Social issues child poverty, you know, and, and social justice, and there's, there's environmental issues, huge, huge environmental issues, and then there's, you know, the economic issues, and, and the reality is, is we need a king, we need a leader, we need someone that, that can, can guide us through this, and, and what Psalm 72 in this ancient Hebrew poetry presents to us a king that, if followed, actually addresses all of the burning issues that Canadians have. We need a king, like the king described in Psalm 72. It describes him kind of in three ways. Regal leadership, his expansive authority, and his righteous influence. Regal leadership, Psalm 72, verses 1 to 7. And I just want to preach out of this psalm because this is the psalm which formed kind of the foundation of our country. You know, he shall have dominion from sea to sea. Well, well what's he talking about here? The, the psalm says it's for Solomon. And we think, okay, is this David's son Solomon? But what he talks about here, the, per the person he presents is a much greater figure than just an earthly monarch. There's, there's something more significant to it. It's a royal psalm. It's Hebrew poetry. So what's he doing here? He's painting a picture. This is not a linear, logical kind of flow. This is a, a picture being painted. And by the time you get to the end, you'll see the full picture as... It's written here in the scriptures. He says, O God, grant the king the ability to make just decisions. Grant the king's son the ability to make fair decisions. And he talks about justice and, and righteousness. Then he will judge your people fairly and your oppressed ones equitably. The mountains will bring news of peace to the people. The hills will announce justice. For he will defend the oppressed among the people. He will deliver the children of the poor and crush the oppressor. People will feel you as long as the sun and moon remain in the sky. For generation after generation, he will descend like rain on mown grass, like showers that drench the earth. During his days, the godly will flourish. Peace will prevail as long as the moon remains in the sky. He's not talking about some, you know, specific ruler on the earth in a specific time frame. He's using these broad scopes, you know, from the mountains to the, to the, to the, you know, to, to the valleys, and, and as long as the sun remains in the sky, generation to generation. I mean, this is a much bigger figure than just one earthly king in the ancient Near East. He paints this picture of this regal leadership, this kingly leadership, this leadership where, where justice is fairly distributed throughout his reign. I don't know if you've, you know, followed the news and law and the courts. I mean, it gets just more messed up the longer we live. And we long to see just fairness, equality, justice. And, 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 and here, Psalm 72 says, yeah, you know what? The, the, may the king come and, and may there come a king that will bring this type of reality, this regal leadership 
and this peace. You know, for the billions of dollars that have been spent trying to find peace in this world, we, we, we just seems to be more and more elusive. It's because we need a king that can bring in peace. And this king is greater than Solomon, greater than David, greater than any king we've ever known. He will surpass their greatness. And he's, his dynasty seems to last forever as he talks about his regal leadership. Psalm 72, verses 1 to 7. And you know, Canada started kind of on this spiritual ground point where, where God was a part of, of the founding even of Canada. And I have a short video to, to show you that. hope I have a short video. Right? <laughs> there we go. No. They had it going before the service. I, I know. I saw it. The enemy loves to attack technology. That's his, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's preferred way. Okay, we, we're going to just continue on, and we'll see if that, if that works out. Just give me a nod or a thumbs up, Scott, if that's going to work for you. And we'll, oh, oh, and, uh, oh, there we go. Okay, perfect. And what brought people over here was the, the desire to share the news of a king that surpasses any earthly king, Jesus Christ. And that's part of our, our, our spiritual heritage, this, this regal leadership that surpasses in, in any earthly kingdom, but, but, but even extends to, to heaven's kingdom. And, and Psalm 72 talks about that, this regal leadership. But he also talks about this expansive authority, verses 8 to 11. May he rule from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of of the earth, before him the coastlands will bow down and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the coastlands will offer gifts. The kings of Sheba and Seba will bring tribute. All the kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. It's expansive authority. Now, in 2006, some bright people said, you know, this, this saying from sea to sea is inappropriate. It's, it's actually not accurate. It should be from sea to sea, to sea, because we have the Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Arctic Ocean. And they're like, you know, let's change it from sea to sea to sea. But the point of, of the Hebrew text is not that there's two specific seas in mind here, but that any elevated land that is above sea level belongs to this king. That there is no territory that is not his territory. May he rule from in every piece of land that rises above the, the, the sea level, from sea 
the sea. And he references these, the furthest regions of the known world, Tarshish, Sheba, Seba. These are the, the furthest outposts that, that they knew in the ancient Near East. He says, from the furthest places away, may they all come and worship him, bring him tribute, and bring him the honor that he deserves. May they serve him. We've got this regal leadership. We've got this expansive authority. And what happens is, is that it can actually influence a nation. And it did influence Canada at the beginning. And here we'll watch the next video, which kind of talks about that. The rise of the Protestant church. Can you believe that? Even the people that go to church don't go to church every weekend in Canada right now. But in, in the 1860s, they did it. It was part of the fabric. Now, that doesn't equal necessarily, you know, dynamic spiritual life, but, but, but there was a, a fabric that encompassed Canadian life. Even in 1924, Zane Gray, the um, prolific Western author, happened to be fishing for tuna in Nova Scotia. And this is what he writes, 1924. The Nova Scotians keep the Sabbath. They do not fish on the seventh day of the week. I'm afraid they made me feel ashamed of my own lack of reverence. More and more we Americans drift away from the church and its influence. Perhaps that's another reason for our lawlessness, our wandering home life, our vanishing America. Liverpool, Nova Scotia was to awaken in me something long buried under the pagan self-absorption of life in the United States. I shall respect the custom of the Nova Scotians and stay quietly in the hotel on that day. <laughs> 1924. An American is just fishing in, in Nova Scotia. He's like, man, there is something about these people. A respect, a, a reverence, uh, the expansive authority of God in, in their lives and it, how it made a difference in the way they lived their life. And then he talks about righteous influence. Verse 12. For he will rescue the needy when they cry for, out for help. And the oppressed will have no, and the oppressed who have no defender. He will take pity on the poor and needy. The lives of the needy he will save. From harm and violence he will defend them. He will value their lives. May he live. May they offer him gold from Sheba. May they continually pray for him. May they pronounce blessings on him all day long. May there be an abundance of grain in the earth. On the tops of the mountains may it sway. May its fruit trees flourish like the forests. Of Lebanon, do you see the, the, the ecological influence that this king has? We talk about the environment. Well, this, this ideal king brings not only blessing to, to the poor and the disenfranchised and the oppressed, but he also, the whole topography of the land is affected under his rule. It's interesting. I was reading this article in the uh, Creation magazine. It's on Ethiopia. 
apparently they've just ravaged Ethiopia and, and just try to, you know, took away all the forest in order to create create uh, farmland. But what's it, it just created a desert. But what 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 has happened in Ethiopia is there's these little oasis of trees. Because the churches don't cut down the trees around the churches. In fact, they, they view the church as kind of an oasis. And not only that, kind of a, a representation of the Garden of Eden, pointing people back to God. And so, so what you find in Ethiopia is all these little places where there's trees, and usually in the middle of those trees there's a church from five acres to a thousand acres. The people who serve the King of Kings are preserving the environment. And so there is an environmental agenda that comes from the King of Kings. He wants to restore things the way they were supposed to be. That's the idea of righteousness, is getting things to be right. And, and as we live in this world, we, we see things that are wrong all around us, and we're like, how do, how do we get our ways out of this? No political party will ever do that for us, but the King of Kings that's promised to us here in Psalm 72 has the capacity to make lasting changes in the social realm, in the economic realm, in the environmental realm. This King and His righteous influence. It says in verse 17, sorry, End of verse 16. May his crops be as abundant as the grass of the earth. May his fame endure. May his dynasty last as long as the sun remains in the sky. May they use his name when they formulate their blessings. And may all the nations consider him to be favored by God. The Lord God, the God of Israel, deserves praise. He alone accomplishes amazing things. His glorious name deserves praise forevermore. May his majestic splendor fill the whole earth. We agree, we agree. The collection of the prayers of David, son of Jesse, ends here. It talks about this the difference socially that it makes. And part of our heritage as Canadians is that we were a safe landing spot for people that were oppressed, uh, enslaved, and in trouble. And this next video kind of shows a picture of that, the Underground Railroad. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Our spirituals were often codes. We sang of heaven that awaited us, and the slave masters listened in innocence, not realizing that heaven was the word for Canada. And the Negro sang of the hope that his escape on the Underground Railroad would, would carry him there. One of our spirituals followed that drinking gourd, and its disguised lyrics contained directions for escape. The gourd was the Big Dipper, and the North Star to which its handle pointed gave the celestial map that directed flight to the Canadian border. We have a heritage of justice and of freedom now we, we've had our our dark spots in our history as well every nation does but part of the root of what makes a great nation i believe is a great king 
And the king that we need is not any earthly monarch. It's Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom that, that he provides, that he leads us to. And Psalm 72 points us beyond anything in this world, Solomon, David, other kings that we've known, even, even the kings that, that, that were in, 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 in ruling places when this government was formed and this country was formed. We need a greater king. We need Jesus. And so we talk about the, the kingdom of God. And, and, and Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he talking about? How, how does God's kingdom come? And, and we think about, you know, you know soldiers and power. And, and what actually Psalm 72 points us to is, is a different type of kingdom. And what Jesus introduces to us in the gospel is a totally different kingdom focus. It's a kingdom where God rules and reigns in our hearts. Where we surrender to Jesus as our king and live as loyal subjects of his kingdom, where we make an influence and, and an impact on our culture and our society and our city and our province and our country through just living out the principles of God's kingdom in everyday life. And it transforms our own families, it transforms our own neighborhoods, it transforms our own churches, and has an impact that kind of reverberates into greater and more significant spheres of influence. We need a king. And Jesus is that king. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, it, it changes things. You know, I was doing the research here, and 68% of Lloyd Minster affiliates, describes himself as a Christian. That's over 20,000 people in our city would self-identify as some type of Christian, uh, a good portion of that are, are Catholics. Twenty uh, percent of those Christian people that identify as Christians are other Christians. I mean, they're not affiliated with any denomination. Uh, there's, you know, five percent Baptist, five percent Pentecostal, six percent Anglican, fifteen percent United Church. I was thinking about this math in my head. And I'm thinking, if all these people attended church every Sunday, the United Church would probably have to have two services a day every day of the week and they still would not accommodate the people that would identify as part of their movement. The Anglican Church would have to have probably three services a day to accommodate all the people that self-identify as Anglicans, that live within just the city limits. That 20% of people that are other Christians, I don't know where they would worship because there's no building big enough to accommodate them in one, one setting. And then there's 30% of our town that is nothing, zero. No religious affiliation. And as we watch our city and, and we look at the crime and homes are broken into, I've met more people in Lloydminster that have had vehicles stolen than any other place. Uh, drugs, you, you know, you talk to the cops and the, the stuff that they're dealing with and the security people, the stuff they tell you. I mean, a house burns down and, I mean, it's not even cooled off yet and people are running in there to steal stuff out of it. I mean, I'm like, what kind of city are we living in? not a city where Christ is king. And how do we change that city? It's we live out the kingdom principles in our own lives. We don't bury our head in the sand. We don't hide from it. We, we engage it. We get out there. We live it. We look out for our neighbors. We care for each other. We show God's love to those that need help. We make practical steps. And that is happening out there. I mean, there is a homeless shelter. There, you know, there, there, there is 
great social agencies that work in our city, but there is something about the fabric of our community that requires just loyal subjects to make a difference in their little corner of this city. We need a king. And Psalm 72 prays that, that he would have dominion. And how does Christ have dominion in Lloyd Minster? It's when you and I live out the gospel in our daily lives. When we take the principles of God's kingdom and, 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 and practically and, and actively live it out with our feet and with our hands, with our mouths, with our wallets, with everything that God gives us, we use to advance his purposes. I don't, I'm not trying to think of some triumphal kind of vision for Canada. But what I want to see is people moving up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. And I think as that happens within our, si- within our own church, within our own neighborhood, this week with the day camp, hopefully there's kids come that, that hear about Jesus for the first time and, and, and follow him. That influences their, their families, their extended families, and, and boom, the, the, the effect just kind of reverberates beyond. Uh, I mean, that the whole tone of our city could actually change. That Lloyd Minster could be a place that people actually want to move to because it's such a great righteous nation, righteous city. Not, not self-righteous, but just righteous. That things are right there, things are good there, families are honored there, marriages are, are secure there, that children are, are, are safe there. But I would suggest that it starts with us. Living as obedient, faithful servants of this king. Taking steps into our schools, into our workplaces, <laughs> into the sports scene or the art scene or wherever you kind of have your network and your opportunities and bringing the good news and the light of God into those places. I'm going to preach about that next week, but you know, you wonder if, if Lloyd Minster is starting rotting, it's because there's no salt on the meat. If it's getting dark, it's because the light is not shining there. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the world, you are the light of the world. Let's take our king, and bring his message into our city, into our provinces, into our country. You know, the last election, south of the border, right, the, the motto was make America great again, right, of the winning, you know, person that, that became the president, make America great again. And of course, you know, that vision was surrounded by certain things, but you know, we want to make Canada great again, if I can steal that. And what would make Canada great again is that if Jesus would have dominion from sea to see, to see. But where his dominion starts is right here, in Mike's heart, in Mike and Elisa's home, in our neighborhood, in our community association, in the blocks that surround this church and surround every one of your homes, that, that he would have dominion as we live out our lives faithfully following Jesus. In the hallway at your school, where, where your locker is, that people would know, yes, Christ rules even in this little space, little tiny little blocker. Yeah, this is a place dedicated to God, and the person that, that owns stuff in here is, is a follower of God. I mean, that, that people would see a difference in our lives, and that in turn would turn them towards the King of Kings that reigns forever. If we would just receive God, it would change the social fabric of our country. It would change the economic picture of our country. It would change the environmental impact of our country, but because he's the perfect king. He's the righteous king. He is the glorious king. And so I point you as Canadians back to the king of kings. Psalm 72, Jesus Christ, the perfect king. Would you pray with me as we close? In fact, I invite you to stand with me. We're going we're gonna to pray a prayer just for our country.
for our nation. And we'll close our, our service on that note. Would you pray with me? We thank you, our Father in heaven, for this country in which we live. We thank you for the economic prosperity that we have experienced in this country. We thank you for the religious freedom and liberty that we have in this country. We thank you that our grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents could come here and, and establish and build a new life with opportunity, with hope. We thank you for the founding fathers and mothers of this country that were women and men of faith and for the heritage that they left behind. We pray, Lord, for a return to Christ in our country. We pray for our rulers, our prime minister, justice, our premiers, our local leadership, the mayors and aldermen and the, and the city council here in Lloydminster, our school boards that, that rule over the schools and, and the education system here in Lloydminster and the area. We pray, O oh Lord, that each of these in, in public positions would be guided by your standards, by your righteousness, that they would do what is right and true and faithful. Lord, we pray for every family in this church that we could follow Jesus Christ as our King in a real, living way. That we could have impacts in our neighborhoods, in our communities, the cities in which we live, and the community associations we're a part of, Lord, that people would see the King in our hearts as we serve Him faithfully. And so we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you tomorrow that we can celebrate a country in which we live. We pray that you, O oh Lord, would be exalted in this church, in this neighborhood, in this city. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, God bless.